You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, we will uh, open in prayer, and we'll get into the Word tonight. Y'all ready for some Word? Yes. All right. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for another opportunity that we have to gather in your name. And Father, I thank you that, Lord, where two or three are gathered together in your name, you are right in our midst. So, Father, even though we aren't in the same place physically, I thank you, Lord, we're in the same place spiritually. Our hearts are united around you. And I believe, Father, your spirit is right there where every single person is here participating in this Bible study tonight. Mm-hmm. And Father, we're just grateful in the name of Jesus for the Holy Spirit, that he is the teacher, the one Jesus said would bring revelation and insight to us. And so, Holy Spirit, we give you permission to teach us, to reveal God's word to us, bring mm-hmm. insight and revelation so that our lives can be different and changed for the better. And Lord, I just thank you that as we hear the word tonight, faith is going to arise in our hearts. And Lord, I believe in Jesus' name, speaking for everyone here, including myself, that we won't just be hearers of the word, we'll be doers of it as well. And we thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Well, this is week number five in our our lessons (laughs) on the Sermon on the Mount. I hope you've enjoyed this. And uh, we probably have uh, this week and maybe uh, next week, and we'll be able to wrap this up. But uh, let's just hit on a couple of high points that we've talked about. We started out uh, talking in Matthew chapter 5 about uh, the Sermon on the Mount, how Jesus had uh, called his disciples, his brand new disciples. He had called them and gathered them around him, and so he began to teach them. And so as we have said, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and half of chapter 7 are relative to him teaching and training his disciples to get them ready for ministry and to get them ready to serve and help him uh, in ministry and to minister and meet the needs of the people. And so there's a wide range of topics that, that the Lord covers in this sermon, And uh, so we won't endeavor to cover all of them. I do want to pick up, if you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll just hit on a couple of things that we've talked about so far. far. And I want to just uh, talk about the basic theme that Jesus has been covering so far is for us to be mindful of the intentions of our heart. What is going on in our heart? What is the motivation behind what we do? Not only does he tell the disciples and in turn tell us how to and uh, what to do in certain situations, but, but the most important thing that he emphasizes throughout all three of these chapters is what is our heart motivation? What is the intent? Uh, in other words, we always need to check our hearts, examine our hearts, and make sure that we're doing everything that we do for him and for the kingdom of God with the right heart attitude. And so we, uh, in Matthew chapter six, the Lord began to talk about three righteous acts that the believer will do. And that is, of course, giving. He talks about giving. He talks about praying and he talks about fasting. 
And by the way, if you've read that entire uh, context, you know he did not say if you give, if you pray, and if you fast. He, he led into that with the word when. So those three things are righteous deeds or righteous acts that every believer needs to be involved in, but he cautioned us on doing those things with the right heart attitude. You know, he used the analogy. He said, when you do these things, don't do them to be seen of people, to get the attention of people so that you can, you know, whether it's uh, talking about giving, if you're trying to get the attention of people or people recognize what you're doing in your giving, he talks about you've already received your reward. And so he mm -hmm. talks that the right heart motivation is to do that with God as your witness. And, uh, you know, and obviously we do have to do those things in front of people, but the main motivation is we're doing it because we love and we honor God. And God, in turn, when we do it with the right heart attitude, will reward us openly, Jesus said. So when we do these things in secret, which means uh, with the attention of heaven or in the spirit, uh, that God will make sure that we are rewarded openly. So the, the key in all of this is making sure that our heart motivation is right and it is correct. And so we picked up and we looked at uh, in verse 7 in Matthew 6. He said, and when you pray, and he began uh, to, to lay out for us in, a, in verse 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13, what we know as the Lord's Prayer, which it really wasn't the Lord's Prayer. He was giving us a model, an example of prayer, some way to lay prayer out. You know, you have to think and, and keep in mind the context of who he was talking to here. He was talking to, to the disciples, and a lot of these people, even though they lived in, a, in what we would consider a religious environment, you know, they did not know how to relate to God personally. A lot of times we take that for granted because we, we're in church all the time, and we hear people pray, and we hear people relating to God individually and personally, but these disciples, they didn't know much about that because in their environment, the people that related to God were the rabbis. And then if you were in the temple, it was the, the priesthood and so forth. And so they did not uh, really know much about how do I relate to God. So when they came to Jesus, we saw this last week in Luke's gospel where they said, and, and hey, why don't you teach us how to pray like John teaches his disciples how to pray. And uh, so Jesus responded to them and gave them this outline, if you will, this guide to prayer. So we went through and we broke that down step by step, what each one of those points really represents and how we can model our prayer life after each of those points. Now, if you were taught to say that prayer verbatim, that's fine if you want to do that, but really that was not the Lord's intent. It was simply a model. He said, pray after this manner. So it was an example for us and how we could lay out our prayer life. And then he moves on and he begins to talk about forgiveness. So let's pick up there in, in verse 14 of Matthew 6, and I want to read verses 14 and 15. Notice what he says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive 
your trespasses. I want to read these two verses to you from the message translation or the message Bible rather. And it says this, in prayer, there's a connection between what God does and what you do. And I like that. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. Now, if uh, put your little ribbon thing there in Matthew 6 and go over with me to Mark the 11th chapter. I want to show you something. Mark the 11th chapter where we have those wonderful scriptures on faith and how to release your faith. And very often we we focus on Mark 11, 22, 23, and 24, but uh, verses 25 and 26 are attached to that. And it's important that we, we, we run it all together. We include those. So Jesus says, you know, he, uh, have faith in God. For, and then he talks about speaking to the mountain. And then in verse 24, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. But verse 25 begins with the word and. So that means, you know, I wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed where English was concerned, but I do remember and as a conjunction, and it connects it to the previous thoughts. So he was not finished speaking when he said, and verse 25, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your father in heaven may, <clears throat> M-A-Y, also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So what Jesus is teaching us both in Matthew chapter 6 and here in Mark 11 is this, that when you and I refuse to forgive others that have offended us, what we do is we tie the hands of God from being able to forgive us when we offend him or when we sin. It's not that he doesn't want to. It's not that he's mad at us. He still loves us the same, but because of us harboring those things in our hearts, we are limiting what God is able to do. So again, going back to Matthew chapter 6, the, uh, the message again in prayer, there's a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. So it's very important that we understand that. So forgiveness for us is tied to our willingness to forgive others. And there's plenty of scriptures, particularly in the Gospels, where Jesus gave many illustrations about walking in forgiveness. We won't cover those tonight, but uh, you know, one that comes to mind is where uh, there was, um, he used the illustration of a, a man that owed his, uh, his, his boss, if you will, a large amount of money and uh, the boss tried to collect on his debt, and so he went to the boss. He fell down before him. He asked for mercy, and uh, the boss forgave him, and it was millions of dollars worth of debt. And so he left the presence of that uh, that boss and then went and found somebody that owed him, and these are the dollar amounts that Jesus used, owed him approximately $15, and he refused to forgive the debt that that person owed him. And uh, so it ended up backfiring on him and causing him a lot of problems because he would not forgive that debt. And so, again, forgiveness is extremely important. We cannot afford, you and I cannot afford to live our lives with unforgiveness and bitterness in our hearts. It's deadly. It's something that we must stay away from. 
All right. So Pastor let's look. Brad, I have a question before you go on. Yes, um, ma'am. I was taught that we were forgiven past, present, and future sins. How does that tie into this? Or am I just taught wrong? No, you're not taught wrong. It might be just uh, not complete. Uh, the the principle that I think maybe they were trying to convey was this, that Jesus has already paid the price for our sins, both past, present, and future. But even though the price has already been paid, as you know from 1 John 1, 9 and other scriptures, we are taught that we still must repent and ask for forgiveness, even though the forgiveness has been bought and paid for, okay? So the same thing, uh, in, in essence, is true in us dealing with other people. Uh, it, it, we must extend to them a heart of forgiveness, and if they repent and come and, and ask us to forgive them, then that's when we wipe the slate clean and we're able to move forward. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. I will say this, even though the price the, the sin debt has been paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. We all know that the Bible teaches us that we cannot live in sin. Even though we know that, even though we know the grace of God has already been extended to us, you know, that's what Paul talked about, in, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but abusing the grace of God is when we know that the price has been paid, we know that grace has been extended to us, and we use that as an excuse to sin and live in sin, which is deadly. And uh, so we can't afford to do that. Does that help you, Yvonne? Yes, sir. Okay, great. All right, so uh, let's look at verse six, uh, 16 in Matthew 6. So here we go. He says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, do like you normally would. Take a shower, clean up, do, you know, don't look pitiful, okay? And so that, verse 18, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you openly. Now, um, I think I mentioned this when we talked about this earlier. Isaiah 58, I encourage you, go and read the entire chapter, but Isaiah 58 teaches us from the Old Testament uh, some of the rewards that God will pour into your life as a result of fasting. So when we make the decision to fast, and again, we're not doing it to be seen by people, we're doing it because the Lord laid it on our hearts, or we need discipline our flesh, whatever it might be, uh, just know that God has promised certain things will happen. Uh, one of the things he said that your health will spring forth speedily. I believe that, um, you know, you have to be led by the Holy Ghost when you do this, but I believe that um, sometimes that if, if you're directed by the Lord, if you are, are experiencing maybe some sickness and disease in your life, uh, use common sense, but uh, you know, if you are, are are fasting, you know, maybe for a long-term situation, you know, if you fast, uh, the Bible says that your healing will spring forth speedily, okay? And so, again, we're not earning healing. We're not trying to deserve it, but we're facilitating what the power of God is designed to do and wants to do in our lives, okay? So, 
So Jesus said in this chapter, again, as we mentioned, when you give, when you pray, uh, and when you fast. So the believer is expected to, to give, of course, and serve, and to pray, and to fast. And so these things are very important. The exciting part of this is when we fast before God with the right heart motivation, not to be seen of men, Jesus has promised that God would reward us openly. So again, we don't do it to get the reward. We do it because we want to honor and please God and we love him. But there's nothing wrong with believing that you will receive the reward. So verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust uh, destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven uh, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves uh, do not break in and steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, again, keep in mind what Jesus has been talking about here is all about heart motivation. Okay, so this is the overarching theme. So I want to read verses 19, 20, and 21 from the Amplified Bible. Uh, the Amplified says this, do not gather and heap up. That's a key word right there, and I'm glad the Amplified uses it. Do not gather and heap up and store, and if you want to underline, for yourselves, treasures on earth where moth and rust and worm consume and destroy and where thieves break through and steal. But gather and heap up and store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust nor worm consume and destroy and where thieves do not break through and steal. Now, what did Jesus, just a little pop quiz here, what did Jesus mean in the previous verses when he talked about in heaven or in secret? Do these things in secret or, you know, before heaven? What, what was he saying? What is he referring to? Do you remember? So in plain sight. Well, he, he said this, when you do these things, no matter what it was, giving, fasting, praying, he said, do these things so that your father who is in secret will reward you openly. What does that phrase in secret mean? Not public display, not for sure. What's, what's the opposite of that? Public display. Okay. No, <laughs> maybe that's not the right way to ask that question. <laughs> um, all right. Let's say it this way. What Jesus is after is that we do these things spiritually, heart and minded, okay? Not naturally heart and minded. In other words, uh, when he said do these things in secret, he's talking about do them in the spirit, not in the natural to be seen of men. So when he says, um, do not gather and heap up for yourselves treasures on earth. Notice he said on earth uh, where moth and rust uh, and, and they can be corrupted and, and so forth. But verse 20, he says, but gather and heap up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So what Jesus is telling us is that 
our heart motivation ought not to be to store up and heap up for ourselves only in this natural world, but to store up and to do what is necessary, spiritually speaking, as well. Okay. So I want to point out a couple of things, though. Jesus, because there's some people that take these three verses to the extreme. Jesus never said that it's wrong to lay up treasures here on earth. I know people that have taken those verses and thought it meant you shouldn't have a savings account, you shouldn't do what's necessary to prepare for the future, and those types of things. And that absolutely is not what Jesus was saying. Uh, and actually, let me jump ahead. Proverbs 13, 22 says this, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So the only way a good man can do that is when he stores up and prepares for that. So Jesus is not against us storing up, preparing, having a savings account, having investments, those types of things. He is not against that at all. But the the the, the main gist of what he's saying is those two words, for yourselves, for yourselves, okay? Now, let me translate a couple of words for you. Uh, back, going back to the New King James, it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In the Greek language, the word treasures, and I found this was very interesting. Anybody ever used the thesaurus before? Yes. Okay, yes. what does the thesaurus do? You, you remember words that are equivalent? Yeah, synonyms, okay? It's a book of synonyms, like a dictionary, but, but for synonyms. In other words, it is a treasure of words that you can use. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting, the Greek word for treasure is the word thesaurus, but get this, it actually means deposits. Deposits. Mm -hmm. So think about this. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves deposits on earth where moth and rust uh, you know, can corrupt, but lay up for yourselves deposits in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and thieves do not break through and steal. Okay? So again, let's couple that together. Don't gather and heap up for yourself deposits on earth with the motivation that it's for you and you only. But instead, lay up for yourselves treasures or deposits that are for the kingdom of God also. All right? There's a big difference there. So we all know, and I mean, we may not know personally, but we've heard of people in the world that are after wealth. The only thing that they're, that's their driving motivation is to, to see how much wealth I can acquire and how much I can get. And, you know, I was watching a documentary a couple of weeks ago on some of the old uh, business titans of the late 1800s and early 1900s, <laughs> like the Rockefellers and the Vanderbilts and those guys. And and some of those men, one of them that really started out uh, to, was pretty amazing to me was John D. Rockefeller, who started out, and that was his motivation, was to see how much money he could acquire. And, and listen, he was ruthless at what he did. 
uh, you know, his business tactics, his scruples weren't exactly the, the most integritous that could be, but it was all about um, acquiring as much wealth as he possibly could. Now, in this documentary, they didn't come out and say this, but they alluded to the fact that he had a religious experience, and later in life, his heart changed. And what he began to do after he'd acquired, and I forgot what the amount was, it was some astronomical amount, both in that day and in um, this, in today's money, it was several hundred billion dollars worth of wealth. I mean, it was just a huge amount of money. And so in the latter part of his life, he made a decree and a decision to give and to, to sow of, as much of it as he possibly could. Uh, you know, he began to give to charitable uh, donations to, to organizations. A lot of people don't realize this, but John D. Rockefeller helped fund and start a lot of uh, HBCUs in the country uh, because he was giving his money, trying to help people and to help them be able to better their lives. And 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 he was trying to help, uh, you know, a lot of uh folks that seemingly were down and out. He was trying to help them. My point was, is this, is that he came to a point in his life where he realized no matter how much I try and lay up for myself, I'm coming to the end of my life. And the reality is I'm not going to be able to take it with me. So mm -hmm. I might as well use it to do some good and that I can help and change the lives of people. And uh, so from that point forward, I, I had read in another article that he began to actually tithe out of his businesses. He, uh, you know, became very active in a denominational church and, and so forth and so on. But my point is this, is he came to the realization, as Jesus was saying, that it's more important to take your natural resources and make deposits in the spirit and heavenly realm, because that is what's really going to matter where eternity is concerned, not only for your own benefit, but for impacting the lives of other people. And uh, so it, it was pretty interesting to, to see that story and to hear that. But the what Jesus is telling us is this, don't hoard up for yourselves. Now, listen, I want to say this, you, and I'm not trying to be funny when I say this, but you can be a hoarder with a lot of stuff other than money. Okay, you know, you can be a hoarder where clothes are concerned. You can be a hoarder where, uh, you know, just all kinds of stuff are concerned. And, and what it boils down to is a fear. It's fear motivated that um, someday I might run out or uh, I want to be better than everybody else. It could be pride. In other words, a lot of different things could motivate you other than the motivation that God wants us to have and that Jesus is talking about in this moment. So I want to say this to us, and this is the point of what Jesus is saying, is that, and it's all summed in verse 21 for he's, when he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, a lot of times we misquote that verse and we say this, that uh, your money follows your heart. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, your heart follows your money. So over a long term, 
you know, and we don't do this to judge anybody, but but over the long term, you can see where somebody's heart is by how they respond to and how they work with and use money. Are we using money to further the kingdom of God? Are we using our resources to help other people and to minister to other people and see other people's lives touched and changed with the gospel? So again, you know, the Bible is not against us being wealthy. The Bible is not against us experiencing prosperity, but the Bible is against us doing those things with the wrong heart motivation, okay? In other words, you know, I, I have no problem doing what I can to become more wealthy, but I'm not doing it just so my life can be better. I'm doing it so that I can advance and further the kingdom of God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what our motivation needs to be. And that's what Jesus is saying, because when we do it with that heart motivation, notice what he said, neither moth nor rust nor worm consume and destroy and thieves will not be able to break through and steal that. So in other words, it will last for eternity. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that is the heart motivation. So why, you know, you have to ask yourself the question and, and, you know, again, we're not judging anybody, but why are we gathering up wealth? You know, why are we participating in that get rich quick scheme? Why yeah. is it that we're pursuing after those things? You know, because as you, you might've heard the old preacher joke, and that is this, I've never seen a U-Haul following a hearse. You're not going to be able to take it with you. So you might as well put it to work and and use it for the kingdom of God, okay? So Jesus is instructing us to redistribute resources in the earth to build and establish the kingdom of God. Now, here's the blessing in this. When we do it with that heart motivation, what has the Lord promised us? That he will bless us even more. That when we give and when we sow with that heart motivation, he has promised us that because he can trust us, because we do have the right heart, he will see to it that we are blessed and that our, our resources will go further and that he can use us to do more, okay? So look at uh, Matthew 6, 22, because it's going to seem like Jesus changes the subject, but he doesn't. So again, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Wow. So what is it that Jesus is saying? Because, you know, I've often told you, Jesus did not do a random accidental and he didn't ramble. So there is something for us to learn from those two verses, okay? So um, I, I want to say this to you, and this is true, but this was a big belief in the time that Jesus was ministering this. Light, and I'm talking about um, revelation light, enters your heart through the eye of your soul, meaning uh, right now, you're hearing me minister the word of God to you. And that word is not going to get down into your heart unless it passes through your soul. 
your mind, your will, and your emotions, okay? And uh, so what Jesus is telling us is that that light enters the heart through what passes through your soul, okay? Now, let me read these two verses to you from the Passion, because it will kind of shed light and, and start to bring a connection to what he's talking about. In verse 22, he says, the, the and this is the Passion, the eyes of your spirit allow revelation light to enter into your being. If your heart is unclouded, the light floods in. But if your eyes are focused on money, the light cannot penetrate and darkness takes its place. How profound will be the darkness within you if the light of truth cannot enter? So again, let me read verse 23 to you. If your eyes are focused on money, notice he said in the King James, he said, if your eye is good or uh, what another in another one of the gospels, it says single, S-I-N-G-L-E. What he's talking about is this, that when we live our lives, we must live our lives with singleness of purpose and not let the vision of our lives become cloudy by focusing on natural things. Don't focus on wealth and natural provisions. Don't focus on earthly possessions. Because when you focus on that, you're clouding your vision and you're going to hinder light from being able to get to your heart. And that's what Jesus is telling us. So he's tying all this together. And when he's talking about our relationship with natural money, he's saying that if you set your focus on that and your attention is solely on that, you're going to have a difficult time receiving spiritual light because you're focusing all of your attention on something that's very, very natural. It's necessary, but it's very natural. And so what we have to do is we have to approach natural things through a spiritual lens. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense to you? Mm -hmm. Okay. So singleness of purpose is when we focus on the kingdom of heaven, okay, and everything we do is motivated and, and towards the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, okay? So as we navigate through life, we're thinking big picture all the time. How does this, what I'm getting ready to do, how is this going to impact my relationship with the kingdom of God? You know, I see so many times people make decisions, uh, you know, in their lives and in their families based on natural things only, and they totally do not involve spiritual things in those decisions. Let me give you an example. Uh, you know, in pastoring all these years, I, I know of people that have uh, been working a job and they come to them on that job and they offer them a promotion and, uh, you know, a huge pay increase if they will transfer to another city. And yet this family is established in a church. God is blessing them. They're thriving spiritually and, uh, you know, and their, their lives are, 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 are blossoming in the will, plan, and purpose of God. But what happens is that, uh, you know, the husband and the wife or the, the head of the household or whatever will make a decision purely based on those natural circumstances, 
the promotion and the pay increase without considering or taking into consideration what's the impact this is going to have on my family spiritually. You know, is God leading me to do this? Is God leading me because he wants me uh, you know, to do something in that particular city. I mean, I've, I've, I know of families that have made decisions like that, and that was not even on the radar. It was strictly about our lives will be better because I'm going to be making more money. And, and what Jesus is telling us is we cannot navigate through our lives, in our lives, by making decisions solely upon natural circumstances. We must weigh it out based on our impact in the kingdom of God, what God wants to do in our lives. Now, listen, if God is leading you to do that, then, then hey, go for it. And, and But here's the thing. You will know it. Your family will know it. And, and other people will know it, okay? And so, what we have to do is we have to navigate through this life being kingdom of heaven minded. Now, James chapter one talks about it this way, and, and, and James alludes to what Jesus is saying here. James tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. James 1.8 tells us that, okay? So, what is a double-minded man? A double-minded man tries to think two ways at one time. Get, let me further my illustration. Oh, I love my church. Uh, I love you know the, the, the messages that we're getting and so forth and so on. But when you're away from church or away from that environment, all you think about is the natural circumstances. All you think about is how much better my life will be because I'll be making a little bit more money. All right. Instead of navigating this and thinking spiritually first. And that's what Jesus is trying to, to get us to see. So, you know, a double-minded man is, is thinking, how can I build wealth for myself? And, uh, you know, and then when I'm in church, I'll think about the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus is addressing. And, and listen, it's more than just money, okay? Because I've seen this happen too, where families have made a decision. When I say families, I know the children don't have a voice in this, but the parents, they'll make a decision and pursue after that, get wherever the promotion was or whatever, and find out that it ends up costing them more in, in many areas of their lives that it really was worth in pursuing those things, okay? And so again, what he's telling us to do is to be single-minded. Just make note of a couple of verses. Let me give you some verses from Proverbs. Proverbs 28 and verse 22, Proverbs 28 and verse 22 says this, a man with an evil eye hastens after riches. Notice I, I, E-Y-E, okay? Uh, a man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. Will you set your eyes? There's those eyes again. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings 
they fly away like an eagle toward heaven. What is he saying? What is Solomon saying? Listen, money comes and goes. Okay. You know, listen, <laughs> there are going to be times when you have abundance and there's going to be times when things aren't so abundant. What's important in those times is where are you in your relationship with the Lord, your faith in God's word and the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Because I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, you know, if you haven't been doing things kingdom of heaven minded, making deposits in, in the sense of where you're you're giving, you're serving, you're doing whatever you can on those spiritual things, you haven't given God anything to work with in order to provide for you during those times when it's not quite so abundant, okay? So again, it's very, very important. Now look at verse 24 in Matthew chapter 6. He goes on to say, he's still talking about the same subject, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So on one side is God, on the other side is the pursuit of wealth, and mammon there uh, is actually a reference. What he was doing is he was referring to a Babylonian or Chaldean God that people worshiped, believing that it would bring them prosperity, okay? So what he's saying is you cannot serve God and this other so-called God who has the illusion of bringing you wealth, all right? In the Passion Translation, it says this in verse 24, how could you worship two gods at the same time? You will have to hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one, and despise the other. You cannot worship the true God while enslaved to the God of money. Okay, so here's the, here's the bottom line of what Jesus is saying. Jesus wants to be our master. He wants money to be your servant. I'm going to amen myself on that one. That was good. Jesus wants to be your master, and he wants money to become your slave. Mm -hmm. And how many of us as believers, I'm just saying church folk, how many of us, you know, we're not necessarily trying to pursue wealth, but how many of us money is dictating how we live our lives? Money is dictating what we can do and what we can't do. Money is telling us and bossing us around and telling us, go here and go there. When, when the, 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 the ideal is, and what Jesus is after, is that our lives are so thoroughly and abundantly supplied because of him that he is our boss and we put money to work for us. Okay. I'm going to amen myself again on that one, okay? Good stuff. That's good preaching, Pastor. All right. Okay. So when money says one thing and God says says something else, we always listen to money. I'm mean, excuse me. We always listen to God and tell money, get back to work. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say that again because I messed it up. When money says <laughs> one thing and God says another, we always listen to what God is saying to us and we tell money to shut up and get back to work. Yes. Okay. All right. So then 
Jesus just continues right on. Now, I find it interesting. And, and, you know, this dawned on me as I was going over this. Notice the topics that Jesus is covering in this, keeping in mind he's preparing these folks for ministry and service and to, to become great in the kingdom of God. And he spent a good portion of this sermon talking about money. I just find that very interesting, okay? So then in verse 25, chapter 6, verse 25, we're probably more familiar with this than some of the other parts. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Now, again, an old preacher joke, but when you find the word therefore, you need to stop and find out what is it therefore. Because again, he's tying verse 25 to what he's been saying all in the previous verses, okay? So he says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Okay. Here's why, why he said the therefore. All right. Listen to me carefully. Money becomes your master when you begin to worry about where it's coming from. Amen. Yeah. I'm going to amen myself on that one again, all right? Here, let me say that again. Money becomes your master, and you begin to serve money when you begin to worry about where it is going to come from. Mm -hmm. Because when you find yourself worrying about money, clothes, shelter, food, those types of things, that's when you are tempted to hoard those things and then try and squeeze those things for everything you can get out of them. Okay. Amen. Can I say this to you? All right. You know, I hear people say sometimes, and they misquote this verse in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. Well, pastor, you know the, that money is the root of all evil. Well, that's not what that verse says. That verse says the love of money and actually, it says, is the root of all kinds of evil, okay? You can be dead broke. I mean, not have a dime to your name and still love money. So don't think just because somebody has a lot of money that they love it, okay? You can, you can I mean, just be as poor as poor can be and still love money. In other words, money is going to cause a whole bunch of problems for you. Amen. So here's the thing that Jesus is trying to get us to see, okay, is yes, we do think about the future. Yes, we do plan because God does those things, okay? But God does make plans, but he never worries about the plans, you and I are never designed to worry about how are our needs going to be met. You were never designed to worry about those things. Mm -hmm. And we miss it when we do. So look, let me, let's go to verse 26. So he said, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much of more value than they? Listen, I, you know, I have sat out on my balcony many days and watched birds. And I've never seen one time 
where a bird landed up on my balcony on the railing and walked back and forth, pacing back and forth, saying, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. I don't know what I'm going to do. I got so many bills that are due. I just don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to feed my, my babies. I, I, you know, those eggs are fixing to hatch and I just don't know what I'm going to do. Not one time. And I'm being silly, but I'm trying to drive home a point because that's exactly what Jesus said. He said, look at the birds of the air. Listen, they don't do anything to, to provide for themselves. Nothing. They don't sow. They don't plant. They don't gather. They don't harvest. Yet God still takes care of them. And then Jesus asked the question, are you not of more value than they? And of course, the, the redundant or rhetorical answer to that is yes, you and I are much more valuable to God than the birds are. He goes on to say, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? In other words, which of you by worrying can make a difference? Nobody, none of us. Mm -hmm. Verse 28, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow they neither toil nor spin, yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So again, he uses the same point, and that is this, flowers and plants do nothing to care for themselves, but yet God takes care of them. Mm -hmm. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you? of little faith. Therefore, mm -hmm. do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Now, that got their attention when he said that, because what he was saying is, when he said Gentiles, he's talking about people outside the covenant, mm -hmm. okay? He's talking to covenant people. Covenant people, and I'm preaching to myself when I say this, covenant mm -hmm. people have no reason to worry about the daily provisions of life. None of mm -hmm. us. Amen. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Verse mm -hmm. 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, mm -hmm. and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry or take about take uh will worry about its own things. Sufficient is the day, uh, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I want to read this same portion from the Passion Translation. Now listen to this carefully. This is why I tell you, never be worried about your life, for all that you need will be provided, such as food, water, and clothing. Everything your body needs, isn't there more to your life than a meal? Isn't your body more than clothing? Look at all the birds. Do you think they worry about their existence? They don't plant or reap or store up food, and yet your heavenly Father provides them each with food. Aren't you much more valuable to your Father than they? So which of you, by worrying, could add anything to your life? And why would you worry about your clothing? Look at all the beautiful flowers of the field. They don't work or toil. And not, yet not even Solomon in all his splendor was robed in beauty more than one of these. 
So if God has clothed the meadow with hay, which is here for such a short time and then dried up and burned, won't he provide for you the clothes you need, even though you live with such little faith? So then forsake your worries. Why would you say, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For that is what the unbelievers chase after. Doesn't your heavenly father already know the things your bodies require? Now, I want to stop right there. You remember what I said to you early in this study, when Jesus, this is the first time in Jesus' ministry that he refers to God as their heavenly father is in this sermon. And remember, mm -hmm. I told you that is so foreign to what they were accustomed to. You know, God was by this time was so way far off and he was about half mad all the time and just, you know, that's the way God was presented to them by the religious leaders of the day. And here Jesus shows up and he starts talking to them as though God loves them. He cares for them. He wants to provide for them. He wants to be their heavenly father and be their source and supply. And this, this was probably mind boggling to them. In verse 33, so above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. And so that's a huge lesson for all of us and, and a tremendous mouthful. All right. Now, you know, here, last the last couple of weeks, I've made it through 10 pages, and uh, I'm going to stop right there with six pages because I kind of, he kind of changes gears a little bit in the sermon, and uh, we've, I've only got two or three minutes left, and I don't want to dive into that and cut it off and cut it short. So we'll pick up in chapter seven next week, okay? Has this helped anybody? Yes. Good. Praise God. Yes, yes it, it has. Thank you. It, it's helped me a lot. So especially, I, I, I love the Passion Translation, and I love how it translated verses 25 through 34, because it's mm. just, it's, I mean, it puts it right out there that God wants to take care of us if we will fully and totally lean on him and be kingdom of heaven minded, singly mm. focused on that. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.